What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. As we enter a new year, one of the biggest questions we all have to ask ourselves is this, what does our work really mean and does how we work really matter? Well, I am so excited to help you answer those questions on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. Man, thank you so much for joining me. If I have never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to begin 2023 with you. Man, today we're releasing episode 156. Can you believe that? 156. We have been on such a ride these past few years, and they just they just get more fun for me. I'll tell you that. And today we get to sit down with a gentleman. He was my guest on episode 68, and I've got him back here on episode 156. And his name is Jordan Rayner. And we're going to be talking about his brand new book that would be perfect for you. As you begin this new year uh, as a devotional, getting ready, and today we're going to be talking about how can you see work as a gift. His new book is called The Word Before Work. It is so good. It is so good. Jordan is one of the leading voices of faith and work and how to make the marketplace and the places you spend so much of your time the best they can be. He hosts the Mere Christians podcast, puts out great weekly devotionals, but this new work is so good, and he's perfect for it. He serves as the executive chairman of Threshold 360, a venture-backed tech startup, which he previously ran as a CEO following a string of successful ventures before that. He was twice selected as a Google Fellow and White House uh, served in the White House under President George W. Bush. He is just an incredible thinker, an incredible guy, and he will help you so much see work as the gift that it was really created to be. So I don't know where you're listening from to start this year, but you have picked a good one. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Jordan Rayner. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me again on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. It's a pleasure to be back, Mike. Thanks for having me. You are you are a busy man. You are a busy <laughs> man, and I love it because it nothing seems like it overwhelms you. Have you always been that way, that you like to have a lot going if it has purpose to it? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think so, right? I, I think back to my my college days and the, the semesters that I did the best in college uh, were when I was taking a full course load and working two jobs, right? But, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I talked a little bit about this in my last book, Redeeming Your Time, which yep. I think is what we talked about yep, last time right. here on Lynch yep. of the Leader. You know, when I look at the gospel biographies and the example of Jesus, Jesus was insanely busy. Mm, right. Mm. Uh, but he was never so busy that he crossed over into the enemy territory of hurry. Right. And 
that's the ideal I strive for imperfectly. Right. Mm -hmm. But my goal is to have a full, busy, wildly productive life um, without sucking the soul out of myself and those that I'm called to serve in the world inside and outside my house. I I, I just think that's what we see modeled in Jesus. And that's that man. That's what I'm that's what I'm striving after. Well, you're doing a you're doing a great job at it, man. You what I love about what you do, you in your writings and your podcast, you are very focused in. You are not a paid minister, which, no. I, as I told, I, I just told you, I walked out of a, a luncheon here with a, 150 business leaders, and and I made this comment to them today: You don't wear the moniker minister, which makes you more effective. Hundred percent. It gives you a platform to do what you do. Where did this really settle in on you that I've got a calling bigger than me and I don't have to hang the shingle of pastor at my door? Yeah, it's a good question. I know exactly when it happened. Uh, I was about five years into my career as a tech entrepreneur. I was in the process of exiting my second company and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I, 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 you know, naturally when you sell, Two companies, the the next thing to do is go start a third, right? So yep. I, didn't, I didn't really have an idea. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And so um was considering starting a business, but for a hot minute there, um, I actually was considering planning a church because I felt the same guilt I think a lot of your listeners feel, Mike. I'm sitting there thinking, man, mm-hmm. how dare I? want to go start another business when there's a need for people to move to mud huts 5,000 miles away to make disciples and to plant churches. And so I was praying about these two paths, start a business or go start a church. And by the grace of God alone, I had a mentor pull me aside after church one Sunday. Godly guy, led Bible studies at our church. He said, hey, Jordan, I hear you're thinking about planting a church. And I'm thinking this guy's going to pat me on the back, maybe write me my first check. He just looked me like dead in the eyes. And he's like, yeah, I got to be honest, Jordan. That sounds really dumb for you personally. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, Jordan, he's like, you're a talented entrepreneur. You've created a lot of jobs and served your investors mm, and team mm. through the ministry of excellence. Why do you think you have to go plant a church in order to quote unquote do ministry? Don't you get that your work as an entrepreneur is ministry? And, um, Mike, I looked at this guy like he had three heads. I had no idea what he was talking about. And so he encouraged me. He said, hey, listen, in light of our conversation, go back to your Bible. You've read 100 times. Go to Genesis 1 and read it and tell me what you find. What I found changed my life forever. For the first time, I was seeing that before God tells us that he is holy or loving or omnipotent, he tells us that he is a God who works. I was mm, seeing that in mm. Genesis 1:28, before there's the great commission to humankind, there's the first commission to you and me, which is simply to fill and subdue the earth to make more of this world for the flourishing of other image bearers. And Mike, that message just transformed my perspective. I used to view my work as an entrepreneur as secular. Mm. And I realized that If I believe I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit, every room I walk into is instantly made sacred by the presence of God in me. And Mm -hmm. thus, any work, any good work that contributes to human flourishing 
can be ministry in the most literal definition of that word, which is simply serving others yep. on behalf of God rather than myself. So that was the moment, Mike. And, and and since then, I haven't looked back. Obviously, I didn't go plant a church. I went and ran another company. And uh, But now I'm championing this message in every which way I can. That is the work of mere Christians, entrepreneurs and baristas and accountants, whatever, or God, God's hands and feet at work in the world. Yeah, and I love what you've talked about with secular and sacred. Yeah. Because I think... I think we think it's one or the other, and it's really not. What can transform somebody, Jordan, when they get that, when they go, oh, my gosh, the role that I play doing blah, it really is a sacred work. What can be transformative to them? Yeah, I think it I think it moves you from this posture of defeat of, mm. okay, I am a Christian in enemy territory and everything is warned against me and, oh, I'm the victim in this workplace and just trying to survive to a proactive posture of, no, I, through the Holy Spirit, am walking on sacred ground in these dark corners of creation. And thus, I'm not just here to like try to not sin in this workplace. I am here to put this place of work, to put this industry under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm. Jesus is king, present tense. First Corinthians makes this crystal clear over every square inch of creation. And yet Hebrews tell us, tells us that creation is not yet subject totally to his kingship, right? That's why he's made us his ambassadors to go into every square inch of business and culture in the arts and make his kingship more visible, more mm. tangible, more real in all of those places at work. But I think Christians, so many Christians have this posture of I'm saved and I'm just waiting around for Jesus to take me home. That's not the message of scripture. The message of scripture is this is our eternal home. And yep. Jesus is king over all of it. And he's using you and me, his people, and dwelt with his Holy Spirit to do that work of restoration in the present, to bring his kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven through us, right now, day in, day out in the present. You and Tim Keller had a great conversation on a recent podcast. It, it was so good. And we'll put a link to that podcast. And I, I can tell the, 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 uh, the influence Tim has oh, yeah. been in your life. And I mean, everybody who's read Tim Keller and that he's walking through a very, very difficult season right now, but man, he is spot on. And you guys were talking about, uh, there was a time in the early that Tim had talked about in the early church yeah. where 80% of people yeah. had made decisions outside the physical church yes. location. Yes. Why do you believe that's so important oh. for us to be understanding now oh, in the man. world we live in? So glad you asked this, Mike. I'm, I'm talking about this nonstop wherever I go. So there's a great book. I mean, it's a dense book. It's called Evangelism in the Early Church by this academic scholar named Michael Green. And he estimates that 80% of conversions to Christianity in the first 300 years of church history didn't come from pastors, didn't come from quote-unquote full-time missionaries because, you know, that wasn't a thing, yeah. right? It came from mere Christians going to work as tent makers mm -hmm. and tax collectors and fishermen. And why that's so important today, Mike, is because we're living at a cultural moment that is looking increasingly like what the church looked like in those first few centuries and a lot less like 
what we in the West have been accustomed to in the 18 and 1900s, right? Culture is increasingly antagonistic towards the church, right? Which shouldn't surprise us. Jesus warned us this was going to happen, right. right? It is less and less likely that non-believers are going to darken the door of a church to learn about Jesus for the first time. Outside of the United States, countries are increasingly being closed off to traditional missionaries. So where in the world are the lost going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? I can only think of one logical conclusion. They're going to hear about him at work, mm. working mm. alongside fellow believers who are first serving their employers and their coworkers through the ministry of excellence, and then looking for every opportunity to give a reason for the hope that is within them. Jesus Christ, that's how it's going to happen. It's how it happened in the first few hundred years of church history. I think it's going to ha- how it's going to happen for at least the next hundred years of church history. Who knows beyond that, right? But this, this is critically important. If we want to be the most effective at the Great Commission in this next generation, we have to re-embrace the first commission found in Genesis 1.28, the command from the God of the universe to just go out and create great culture and make civilization more useful and more helpful for other people. You've talked about the ministry of excellence, and I, and I want to camp on that for a second. Yeah. Why is that so powerful to a world that doesn't know the Lord? Yeah. They know you go to church. They know yeah. what you say you believe. Why is how you do something, why does it speak such volumes to people? Yeah, because money is the God of this world. Mm. And excellence is a conduit towards more money for our coworkers, for the businesses that we operate in, right? The world doesn't value Jesus. The world does value vocational excellence, mm-hmm. right? And so if we want to have any fighting chance of talking about Jesus, we have to first and foremost be so good they can't ignore us, Mm. right? To quote Steve Martin, the great comedian, right? (laughs) Be so good they can't ignore you. I think this is foundational, number one, towards our ability to have any opportunity to share the gospel. But more importantly, maybe not more importantly, let's say equally importantly, Excellence in and of itself matters because Jesus told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. period. And how do I want to be served by a product I buy at the store or online? Excellence. Nothing short of that is going to satisfy me as a customer. And so how much higher should my standards of excellence be in my own work as I serve other people through the books that I write, or if you're an accountant, the spreadsheets you create, whatever it is, right? Excellence A failure of excellence is a failure of love. It is a failure to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? That's the most foundational reason why we care. And oh, by the way, when we're so good, they can't ignore us. It opens up doors for us to give a reason for the hope that's within us. It gives us opportunity to share a reason for why we care so deeply about excellence, but don't pursue excellence at all costs. We pursue excellence with love. Why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus Christ did for us on our behalf, right? That's why excellence matters. Failure of excellence is a failure of love. That is an outstanding quote, because I think for, for us, it's so easy to minimize the small things. 
And really, it's probably excellence in the small things as much as it is excellence in the big things that are ultimately going to paint the picture of who we are and what we believe. You talk you talk in one of your podcasts, you got into a whole thing of salt and light. You were interviewing Ariel. It was yeah. really good. It was really yeah. good. And you talked about her time at Disney and, and her work in that. When Jesus talked about being salt and light, if he were to pull up a chair at a Starbucks and he was sitting down talking to us about what we do Monday to Friday or whatever our work hours are, and he was to explain what meaning salt, what being salt and light would look like. How do you think Jesus would explain that to somebody going into the marketplace? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question, right? I, I just got to go with what the text tells us. Right. So the text tells us he's talking about salt and light. This is let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. And anytime we come across that term good works in scripture, Paul uses this term a lot. Jesus uses this term a lot. It's this Greek word ergon that we translate to good works. We almost always assume that, oh, what Jesus meant by see your good works is works of evangelism and works of prayer and works of serving the poor. Go look up this Greek word Aragon in any biblical concordance you can find. Everyone I've ever been able to find defines this word as, quote, work, task, and employment, mm. end quote. So let's substitute that word. Let's read it again. This is Matthew 5, 16. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good work, task, and employment and give glory to your father. Who is in heaven, right? That's, that, that changes our understanding of that. Part of the way that people assign glory to God is by seeing our work done with excellence and love. It's not excellence as the world defines it. It's excellence as God defines it, which is the pursuit of excellence in a loving way, right? Not necessarily the attainment of excellence, but trying our best to love our neighbors as ourselves through our work the world gives glory to God when they see that. Not everybody, but some people will look at that and give glory to God. I think about, I think about, um, I think about Nehemiah. I can't remember what chapter of Nehemiah this is in. I want to say it's Nehemiah 6, where Nehemiah is talking about um, completing the wall, this massive project that they completed. I think it was in like 52 days yep. under fierce opposition from Sanballat and all these guys that are like warring against Nehemiah. And he says, he says, I write about this in my new devotional book, The Word Before Work. He says that when they completed the wall, Sanballat and team couldn't believe it. And they had to assign credit to God. Excellence was a means of unbelievers glorifying the one true God of heaven. That's the power of excellence. That's the power of letting people see our salt and light, our good works, our excellent work that brings glory to God. You know, it's funny. It would have been really easy for you, Jordan, to have this as a personal posture. You know, God teaches you this, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be ex excellent in the tech industry. I'm going to be excellent in my startups. I'm going to be excellent on the boards that I sit on. I'm going to be, I'm going to be excellent. But somewhere along the way, you got the Nehemiah tap on the shoulder. You yeah. got the this Jordan, this just isn't for you. Yeah. This is for my people. Yeah. When did that burden? settle in on you where you just had this holy discontent yeah. wrestling in your soul unpack yeah. that a little bit oh, such a good question so it started 
uh, in that scene I, I, I talked about previously, five years into tech, this mentor of mine told me to go read Genesis anew. And I had just never, I grew up in the church. I went to a Christian school for 13 years. And I had never once heard that my work as an entrepreneur or your work as a salesperson or a marketer was ministry. I'd never heard that before. And um, I, I just I just devoured everything I could in this topic. And um, I just realized that this message was so transformative, right? That I could see myself dedicating 50 years of my life to saying this message a million different ways, because I think when people get this, they unlock a more holistic Christianity. Mm. The gospel becomes more relevant and more life-giving than ever before. And it, it was just so radical and life-changing for me. And then I think what happened, Mike, so in, in response to that, um, in response to that kind of life-changing conversation with that mentor. I went and wrote my own book. I, I wasn't planning on writing a book. I actually went out and interviewed a bunch of Christian entrepreneurs to um, answer questions that I personally had. It was a very selfish project. And then one day I looked at this moleskin filled with notes and I was like, oh, this is this is a book. So I published this book in 2017. It was a book called Called to Create. And it just took off. I, I mean, it, 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 it continues by God's grace five years later to just sell and sell and sell every single day. And watching the fruit of that project and watching how God was blessing. I was thinking about Jesus in the parable, uh, the parable of the sower and just talking about the miracle of divine multiplication, how some seed just sprouts up 30, 60, 100 fold. And I'm like, oh, man, this is it for me. And so um, I very much viewed the work I was doing as the CEO of this big tech startup as ministry. Of course, that's what my whole message. But I just saw this work of helping the church connect the gospel to their work as a much more unique lane, right? I, I looked at these two things. I was like, all right, there's probably a thousand people in the world that can run this tech startup as well or better than I can, right? Conversely, I don't see a lot of people raising their hands and saying, I think I can write 50 books helping the church connect the gospel to their work. And so for me, mm, it was good. just a more unique lane uh, to be focused on. And so, yeah, I put all of my eggs in that basket and have been chasing hard after that mission now for three and a half years. We were talking about this before we started recording. I mean, you know, by God's grace alone, last five years, we published six books on this topic. We've produced three podcasts on this topic. We're in negotiations with Netflix on a series right now. And that's just three years in, right? I don't, who knows what the Lord could do with long obedience in the same direction with me and my team. Not to say that our obedience has anything to do with it, but I think he can use that, uh, use me as one of many players in the church today to inspire a generation of mere Christians, not to be ashamed of their work, not to feel guilty about their work relative to their pastor or the missionaries that they support, but to embrace their work as maybe the primary means by which God's kingdom is brought to bear on earth as it is in heaven. That's that's so good. Well, and I, I would say this to you, Jordan. We don't know each other other than these two calls, but God raises up. God always raises up a flag waver. He always taps the one, and their willingness to accept that call spurs on everybody else. And we we would say it this way: it raises the spiritual temperature because yeah. all of a sudden, when that leader gets it. And when, when, when one person sets it 
and others begin to follow it, then movements happen. And I love that God is raising you up out of the world. And you are one of, and you're able to look at him and say, I am one of you. Yes. I am, I am no different. I've got a guy. So every Monday morning, I host a pro scout college baseball coach Bible study. And we've got about 70 guys on every Monday morning from across the United States. Oh. And we have a, a MLB scout, 30 year scout that'll lean in every week in his little zoom box. And he'll go, don't ever forget. You may wear the uniform of a scout or the uniform of a coach, but you're a minister in disguise. And he says it every week. Amen. Because it's that whole thing. God's put you where he's put you yes. for a reason bigger than you. Yes. You get it. And this new book that you put out, this devotional, yeah. which came out, this book, which came out of your, your word before work devotionals, yeah. Yeah. it's written with this in mind. Tell everybody a little bit of the yeah. layout of how you have structured these days because they yeah. correspond to our work days. Talk to me a little bit about it. Yeah. So I wanted a resource out there to help those of us working Monday through Friday see the eternal significance of our work every single weekday of the year. So I wrote this, I, I've, been, I've been publishing a weekly devotional for years called The Word Before Work. This book, though, is a daily devotional, Monday through Friday, five days a week for an entire year to help you see and respond to this radical biblical idea that your work matters for eternity. And I did something new for this project that I'd never done before. So I, I'd read my Bible cover to cover a few times, right? But this is the first time I read it cover to cover looking for one thing and one thing only. What does God's word have to say about our work? Mm. I went through this massive research project. I read a ton of commentaries for the passages that were less clear, right? Uh, and what I found were I found more than a thousand passages of scripture that I could write about. I picked the 260 that I thought were most relevant, most helpful, most practical to readers. And you have just laid it out from Genesis to Revelation. What does God's word have to say about our work? And I think the end result is something that is going to be short and accessible. You can read these devotionals in two minutes a day, yep. so you don't have to change up your daily routine to make it a part of your life. But that is going to be a massive encouragement to you to embrace where ever you're at for God's glory and the good of others and give you something practical to do every single day to embrace that role as a ministry to God and others rather than your own fame and fortune. You, in one of your early ones, you talk yeah. about work as a fig leaf. Mm -hmm. This is phenomenal. Out of that, out of that time in the garden yeah. and you compared the fig leaf. Talk, talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So Genesis three tells us, when Adam and Eve sinned, first thing they did, they went and found some fig leaves to cover up their shame, right? They were experiencing shame for the first time. And I would argue that we use work as the primary fig leaf mm. um, in our generation, right? We're not covering ourselves up with le literal leaves, but we're covering ourselves up in our shame and our insecurities with our LinkedIn profiles. And how we answer the question at a cocktail party of what do you do for a living? All of us want desperately to impress with that question. What are we doing? We're trying to save ourselves. Mm. We're trying to mask over the fact that like, we're not okay. We're trying to prove to the world that we are valuable and worthy, that we're not a chump. Right. And I, I know because I did this for years, right. I did this for the first five, six years of my career. And had a lot of success even, right? 
but ultimately found what anybody will find, that Jesus is the only fig leaf big enough to cover over those insecurities. Every other fig leaf withers away, right? Him and his gospel. The fact, the gospel is the good news that Jesus died for you and I when we were his enemy. Mm. You could believe that. Of course you can believe that he loves me regardless of how successful or unsuccessful I am, regardless of how productive or unproductive I am today. That's the only fig leaf that will satisfy, right? That's the only fig leaf that will allow me to rest. But ironically, Mike, in my experience, it's also the truth that leads me to be wildly ambitious for the work. That's right. right? I am more ambitious for my work the more I understand the gospel. Not because I need to be productive, not because I need the fig leaf, but because I want to be productive on behalf of the one who has covered me. That's right. Who has taken all my shame upon himself. I don't need to be productive. I want to be productive as a wildly ambitious act of worship to Jesus the King, right? It's this weird double-edged sword that the gospel is, right? It is paradoxically both our ultimate source of rest and ambition, right? And that's a theme you see throughout this entire devotional book, especially early on talking about talking about fig leaves. I love that you picked up on that. Yeah, that was really good. And I even heard it in one of your interviews. Yeah. When we can settle in that he, so uh, this phrase, and I want to hear you talk about yeah. it. You alluded to it, and I'm pointing out to where I was standing when I heard the podcast, but we are enough. Yeah. In God's eyes, we are enough. I don't have to achieve. I don't have to do. I am enough. When we can settle into the fact that we are enough in his eyes, what can that unleash us to do Yeah, in the terms of making our work more yeah. holy? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I think it does a lot of things. I think number one, I think it enables us to rest more. Mm. You look at somebody who can't take a vacation, who can't go 24 hours without checking email. And I'll show you a person who is probably not, not, not definitely, but probably looking to their work for the fig leaf that only Jesus mm. can provide. Mm. Right. And I'm, trust me, I'm speaking from experience here. Yep. Right. I used to work myself to the bone because I needed the work to give me something that God never designed work to provide, which was this ultimate deep soul level sense of rest, right? So I think that's like real practically number one. I think as we understand the gospel, it helps us rest more. Um, Number two, I would say it, it also allows us to take bigger swings at work, right? A lot, a lot of, I, I, I'm thinking of one friend in particular who, you know, he's a really great job. He's a really big family that he's supporting, right? And there's some fear that comes in there, right? I don't want to speak up on behalf of a marginalized coworker for fear of losing my job. Well, the gospel enables us to take those risks, enables us to take those swings, because we know that if God won't forsake us when we were his enemy, he sure as heck ain't going to forsake us when we're his child, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we're doing our work for his glory, and obeying his commands, i.e. looking after the marginalized and the poor and those who don't have a voice in our places of work, man, I'm willing to take that swing now because I know Romans 8, 28, that he's right. going to work all things for my good and for his glory, right? Even if I lose my job, right? So I, I, 
I don't think you can exhaust the practical ramifications of understanding that you are enough mm. and you are loved by the father, regardless of how many good things or bad things you do. It's why I, it's why I tell my kids this every, every single night without fail. Last thing I tell my three girls, they're eight, six, and three kids. You know, daddy loves you no matter how many bad things you do. They say, yes, I think most people, most kids get that right. And I say, Hey, you know, I also love you no matter how many good things you do. Right. So if you come on with an F or an A, daddy loves you the same. I say, who else loves you like that? And they say, Jesus. That's that's the message that you and I need to hear. That's right. God loves us whether we start a business and totally fail or whether we massively succeed and give a billion dollars to our church. His love for us is identical. Yep. Equally the same. Rewards are different, maybe. Eternal rewards, we can talk about that. But his love, our status as adopted children of God is equal that should enable us to rest more to risk more and to sacrifice this rounding error of a life for the eternal way to glory that is far outweighs everything that we're experiencing right now that's an incredible answer because i think if, if we can settle in on that and we can get that it can transform our lives even the word before work you get into this devotional and you get into your new book God doesn't cause us to for God to love us more, but it does allow us to love him more yes. and, and to see him at work in our lives. You did a great job in the middle of the book and we'll, we'll settle in here then and then wrap up. You talked about Jesus as a worker, Jesus as a carpenter. Yeah. And then you talked about something I've never thought about, which is very bad since I've been doing this for 30 Dang. years, but I've never thought about it. Jesus as a gardener. Yeah. Very interesting painting that you did in your devotional chapter on Jesus as a gardener. Yeah. We get his, his, his carpenter work was what? 30 years, right? He was only three years in ministry. And then his time as a gardener, talk to us a little bit about Jesus in the work. Yeah. 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 So man, Mike, I missed this detail for decades. And he writes the one who like tipped me off to this and like told me to go chase it down. John chapter 20. Every Easter, right? Says that Mary Magdalene was crying outside the tomb. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him, right? So again, read this a hundred times. Always thought that the the fact that Mary mistook Jesus as the gardener was just this like odd, insignificant detail of scripture. But think about this. This is the most beautiful poetic picture of the purpose of the Christian life I've ever seen in scripture. I think John is pointing to something very intentional. I think he is contrasting the first Adam in the Garden of Eden with the last Adam, Jesus Christ, in the Garden of the Tomb. So in the beginning, Genesis 1, God created Adam to work the Garden of Eden, to fill and subdue the earth, the first commission that we've been talking about, Genesis 1, 28. So God could have created that creation, that first creation, all on his own. But he stopped after day six and invited his kids to help him garden that first world, right? Then at the resurrection, Jesus, the last Adam, inaugurates the final creation, the eternal kingdom of God, which would restore everything that the fall destroyed, right? What does this have to do with us today? Everything. Because while Jesus could have brought the fullness of his kingdom on that first Easter morning, 
He didn't. He called us to advance it through our lives and work. This is Acts 1, 6 through 8. And just as Adam had his bride Eve to help him cultivate the first creation, Jesus has his bride, the church, mm. to help him cultivate the final one, right? I think a lot of Christians are sitting there today just waiting for heaven to drop from the sky. And it's clear that God alone is going to consummate the final marriage between heaven and earth. But in the meantime, Jesus told us to roll up our sleeves and to get to work co-laboring, co-gardening with him to cultivate heaven on earth. That's why I think Jesus is appearing as a gardener. I think it's a wink to us to say, hey, kids, it's time to garden again. Not for that first garden, but for the eternal garden city, heaven on earth. We, we both know our time on earth is limited. And the years go quick. You're in your younger years. I'm I'm a couple, little bit past you. Those years go quick. What do you pray that you use your life to do the most? Yeah. What do you pray is your biggest? You know, we we say a phrase all the time, and I, I've just come off a stretch of doing a lot of funerals. It, it's not their duration; it was their donation. Yeah. What do you pray was the donation that Jordan Rainer? Yeah. made to this earth while God left him here for X yeah. time? Yeah, that's a good question. I pray that God uses me as one of a bunch of tiny little actors to change the way his church thinks about their vocations. That a new generation of Christians, including my daughters, would rise up and embrace their work as filmmakers, as chefs, as programmers, as plumbers, whatever, as a primary means of cultivating heaven on earth. You know, I love talking to passionate people. And what I love about Jordan, every time we've spoken, he is passionate about people taking advantage of the time and the space where they spend the majority of their time. He lives it. He walks it. He breathes it. And you can tell because it comes out through his pores when you talk to him. Thank you so much, Jordan. Make sure and go to the show notes to download or order you a copy of his newest book, and I'm telling you, it will be so good for many of you that go, I want 2023 to be different. And this is a way for it to be different. Another way is to hit pause right now. Leave a rating and review for this podcast. It would sure mean a ton and help other people find their way to us because we have a stout, stout lineup that's coming up here in just the next few episodes. In our next episode, we're going to be talking to Pastor Terry Smith, who was also a former guest uh, back, golly, back in 2019, 2020. We uh, spent some time together. We're going to be talking about his new book, The Lord Bless You. We're going to be talking about how may the Lord bless you in leadership. And then Andy and Sandra Stanley coming out with their brand new parenting book, Pastor Chris Hodges, his book on prayer, Annie Ann's. Oh, the founder of Annie Ann shares her amazing overcoming story. There is so much and you don't want to miss an episode. So make sure and subscribe and be a part. So 
until we get to meet again, until we get to spend some time together. Go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you, and let's make a difference in this coming year. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.